Good morning. Uh, the reading this morning, uh, in this last uh, Sunday of May, is from Luke 10. I'll be reading verses 1 to 11. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, you, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. This is the word of God. Before we begin the message, I just feel as though my uh, morning tea announcement was a little undercut. Um, I, I did want to just really encourage you um, on today's message. Lord Jesus, we uh, just come to you this morning. We acknowledge that you are our Lord and our Saviour. You are our leader. You are our King. You, Lord, are our brother and our friend. And we come this morning to these words that you spoke to your disciples about mission, and we thank you that not only did they have implications for your followers back then, but they have implications for us as your followers today. So I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to be attentive um, to what it is that you're inspiring in our hearts this morning through your word. And we just welcome and invite your presence here among us now. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we as the people of God believe in God's Word, right? We believe that it's living and active. It's not a dead word, it's a living word. This is something that Bill and I were chatting about this week, that God's Word is, is, is vibrant, it's dynamic, it continues to speak. So what spoke to followers of Jesus over 2,000 years ago still speaks to you and I today. And whenever you and I come to the text at various junctions or checkpoints in our lives, it'll have a different meaning then to what it did uh, previously. This is the wonder and the richness of God's Word. And so whenever we have the opportunity to open God's Word, we ought to be excited and expectant about what God is wanting to say to us in this moment, in this time, in this season of our lives. And if we listen carefully, I believe that Luke 10, 1 to 11 has some critical things that the Holy Spirit is wanting to impress upon each of our hearts. 
I've certainly been convicted over these last five weeks. And I trust that you have been as well. So we've been studying Luke 10. If you're joining us for the first time this morning, just these 11 verses, Jesus sends out the 72. And up until this point, they've been observing him. They've been with him. And this is kind of the big moment where Jesus sends them out. It's a little bit like that moment where you take the training wheels off a child's bike and send them out. They're going to fall over. They're going to make mistakes. But that's all part of learning and growing. And so if we're going to actually have the courage to go on mission, God's mission, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to slip up. We're going to say the wrong thing. We're going to do the wrong thing. But that's okay because we're trying. And the more we try and the more we have a go and the more reliant we become on the Holy Spirit, I believe the more we will see the gospel message go forth and people's lives transformed. And that's what I want to be a part of. How about you? So we're not just talking about what this meant to the 72. It's very much a message around how Jesus' words impact us, how we too have been called to participate in the mission of God. Now, when a problem arises, we can choose to look at it in one of two ways. We can either take a problem-orientated approach or a solution-orientated approach. The problem-orientated approach tends to see things through a more negative lens. This problem is a real problem. And the more you dwell on the problem, the more disappointing and overwhelming it can become. How did it come to this? How could X, Y, or Z allow this to happen? A problem-orientated approach tends to bring others down because remaining focused on the problem itself can become rather deflating and distressing. Now, there is a place for asking questions, for seeking to understand and clarify what the problem is. The trouble, however, is if it stays within this realm and doesn't move to the alternate approach, which is to be solution-orientated, we get nowhere. A solution-orientated approach spends far less time dwelling on the problem and all of the associated problems the initial problem has caused. Conversely, it seeks to look positively at how the problem can be altered, addressed and overcome so that we can move past the problem. Which approach do you personally identify with most? Are you more of a problem-orientated person or are you more of a solution-orientated person? I would like to think of myself as more of a solution-orientated person, but I recognise that there are times when I become very problem-orientated. Has this been your experience? Neither extreme is healthy. An overemphasis on the problem creates a very negative and depressing culture. Have you walked into a culture or been a part of a group where it's just problem, 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 problem? It's very depressing, it's very deflating, and you get nowhere. And, and it just festers. And the problem just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. 
Likewise, an overly developed culture that is purely solution-orientated can also be damaging because it fails to acknowledge the potential damage that the problem has caused. We need to acknowledge and recognise the problem when there is a problem, but then seek to move on and actually look for solutions. And in Luke 10, Jesus identifies a real problem. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. This is a problem. There are few who are prepared to count the cost of following Jesus and obey His commands to spread the good news of the kingdom. Now, the implication here is if we aren't being followers of Jesus who are taking part in the harvest, then we are actually being part of the problem, are we not? So, how do we become part of the solution? Well, firstly, let's take hope in the fact that whilst the workers are few, according to Jesus, the harvest is plentiful. I've got a question for you. Do you think the harvest is just as plentiful today as it was when Jesus spoke these words to his initial followers? Was the harvest more plentiful then than what it is now? Certainly from my experience, at the moment, the harvest seems pretty scarce. There doesn't appear to be a lot of people who are really that interested in church, 8% of Australians. (laughs) There doesn't really appear to be a lot of people taking a real active interest in following Jesus. So is the harvest as plentiful now as it was back then? I think there are some universal principles that apply to what Jesus is saying here. And I think we can have faith in the fact that the harvest will always be plentiful. There will always be people far from God. Sadly, there will always be a majority of people far from God. Therefore, the harvest, my friends, is plentiful. Secondly, I believe, and I'm sure you do as well, that deep within every human soul, every human spirit, is a yearning to be known and loved and connected to one's maker. And people search in all kinds of ways and places to try and fill that void, don't they? But we as Christians who've discovered the life-changing message of Jesus know that it is only Jesus It is only the gospel that can actually fill that void. So we can take hope in the fact that the harvest is plentiful. This ought to give us encouragement. And this ought to propel us not to be problem-orientated and dwell on the fact that 92% of Australians are not in church. It's not really the issue. Okay? The issue is, what are that 8% of people who are in church doing with their faith? 
to help the other 92% hear that message. Now, I need to say that 67% of Australians identify with being Christian, okay? So, out of that 67%, there would be regular church attenders, regular being once a month, Uh, but there would also be plenty who really have no affiliation with, with the Lord, but just kind of identify, as many people did generations ago, Christianity being kind of the religion of the country, if you like. But whichever way you slice it and dice it, there are far more people who are not following Jesus than are. And for those of us who are, that ought to give us encouragement because it means that we are surrounded by harvest. We're surrounded by people who may, in fact, be open to the gospel. And it's certainly not for us to determine whether or not they will respond positively or not to that. I think the other stark reality that Jesus acknowledges here in terms of the workers being few is that as Christians we so easily settle for what's comfortable and familiar. And in church land we so easily settle for maintenance over mission. We become part of the solution when we are intentionally living lives that are witnessing to our faith and to Jesus' impact in our lives daily. Jesus, as followers of Jesus, friends, it shouldn't just be, I put my faith in Jesus 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago, and now I go to church. No. If you're a follower of Jesus, then that actually impacts and alters the way you live your life and make choices, the way you speak words. Now, today, every day, uh, and therefore, there's this sense that if we're, if we're to be intentional about being harvesters, then people need to see our faith on display. They need to see how it impacts and changes the way we live our lives. These two words, mission, and maintenance have been swirling around in my mind for a little while now. And they're hitting me with deep conviction. In fact, these two words are one of the reasons, or many reasons, why I decided to become a scripture teacher. It's because I recognized that so much of my time was being spent on maintenance and not on mission. And now every week have the opportunity, as uh, some others in this church do, to share the gospel with children who've never heard about Jesus. What an, what an opportunity. It's just there, right for the taking at the moment. It won't always be there. And I know there are many of you who have taught Scripture over the years, and that's wonderful. That's only one way, though. There are, there are multiple ways. And as we spoke about last week, we need to look at the networks that are around us in our orbit. You know? I've got school-aged kids, so it's kind of a, an ideal time to be getting involved in school life. But what are the networks, what are the opportunities that God has placed in front of you at the moment? And how are you capitalising on those to build relationship, connection with people and have that opportunity to share your faith? Another turn of phrase that is used in this conversation about where a church's focus lies is edification versus evangelism. Have you heard of those two words kind of pinned together? Edification and evangelism. Now, both are necessary and important 
But the trouble is, I think we have a tendency, and Jesus acknowledges this by saying the workers are few, we have a tendency to focus on edification, on building ourselves up, on kind of making sure that we've got everything perfect inside, that our relationships with one another are perfect, that our theology is perfect, we've kind of got all of our ministries firing on all four cylinders or all six cylinders before we kind of take the message out. Is that right? certainly been my experience in all of my years of church involvement. It's far more comfortable for us to focus on getting what we have inside these four walls better than it is to actually just get out and share the message with people and be strategic about how we do that. We're far more willing and prepared to say yes to a church activity than an invitation to uh, a neighbour's barbecue. Isn't that right? You know, if there's a church activity, it's good to see, Carol, but I don't think you're in the majority. You see, when church activities come up, we're, we're more often than not like, yes, I'll be there. That's ministry. And I'm a, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. When in fact, the ministry that we need to be involved in, I think increasingly so, is finding opportunities to be a part of spaces where people who are not following Jesus are, are hanging around and developing relationships with them. Is that not what Jesus is doing here? He's sending the 72 out into context where people who are far from God are. He doesn't send them to go to a, a, a worship service, a Bible study, uh, a seminar. Oh, look, all of these things are good and important, and, and by all means, we still do them. But my fear is that for many of us, our faith becomes reduced to just that. I go to Bible study, I go to church. I read my Bible, I pray. Well, show me where you're interacting and engaging intentionally with people who are far from God so that perhaps the opportunity might arise where you can share the kingdom message with them. And I will show you someone who is taking the command to make disciples seriously. Now, this is, I'm not preaching to you, I'm kind of preaching with you because this is just as applicable to me. Like, I've got huge conviction about this stuff at the moment. Huge. I'm, I'm hungry to learn. Uh, but more importantly, I'm hungry just to grow these relationships. And, and, and more than that, I'm hungry just to have the courage to share. Because someone said to me recently that we've kind of made friendship God. Right? So we kind of put all the emphasis in relational evangelism. And so it's all about the relationship but we prize that relationship so highly that we never actually get around to talking about Jesus because we're so fearful of damaging the relationship. Isn't that not true? And, and this is why I think Wednesday night over these next four weeks is going to be so helpful. I mean, if you're already out there naturally talking about Jesus, please come and talk to me and then you can talk to us because we need to learn from you. But my experience is this is something Christians really struggle with. And uh, I think we need all the help we can get. I want to ask you, how's the Holy Spirit been prompting you this month? He's certainly been prompting me. Are there areas in your life you need to reprioritize? Are there unhelpful habits or, or attitudes that require attention that you need to let go of so you can travel more lightly on this journey that Jesus calls us to be a part of? Has the Lord laid a person or certain people on your heart that he wants you to pray for? build relationship with and share Jesus with. Perhaps the Lord is calling you 
to do cross-cultural ministry? Is the Lord impressing upon your heart to seize the moment and go to a people group that are least reached? Is the Lord leading you to take a more active interest in supporting those who have gone, who God has placed the call on their lives to go? Maybe the Holy Spirit's been prompting you to take a more active interest in prayerfully and maybe even financially supporting those who have heeded that call to go and serve God in a foreign context. As we intentionally go about focusing on being a solution in the kingdom of God, we are to seek out those who may be people of peace. We are to go to those who welcome us and welcome our message, who show openness to God and His message of peace that is in Jesus. What we need to do here is open our eyes to the people God has placed around us and see where God is already at work. Coupled with this is an awareness that the person of peace, as Luke calls it, is that it reminds us that God is concerned not just for individuals, but for whole communities. And when we focused on that, that person of peace, what we recognise is that people of peace are very connected people, they're very hospitable people, they bring people together, they bring communities together. And so if we can connect with a person of peace, then that, that person's influence may reach far more than an individual, but in fact, families or communities. Like the 72, we can proclaim that there is another king and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as there is another king, there is another set of values that we live for and proclaim, namely the kingdom of God. Our job in mission is to go as community to communities and point people to Jesus through the words that we say and the things we do empowered by the Spirit of God. Another thing Jesus acknowledges in these few short verses in Luke chapter 10 is this is hard. As Jesus said, people will at times receive the message. They will receive the message. And that's wonderful. But there, of course, will be times, as I said earlier, when we will fail, when we will make mistakes, where both the message and we as the messengers will be rejected. But what is important is that we keep trying. We remain faithful to the task that God has called us to. I began this year with a strong sense of conviction, questioning how serious I was, and in turn this church was, about sharing the life-changing message of Jesus. I felt that we really kind of linked with and connected to the loving church phrase in our mission statement, and that's wonderful. And we will never stop doing that and, and promoting that. You know, the Bible says, let love be your highest aim. But I felt so convicted that we were failing to acknowledge and recognise that aspect of our mission statement which refers to sharing the life-changing message of Jesus. And I just felt as a pastor, how on earth can I lead a church to be a people who are sharing Jesus if I'm not actively doing this myself? So I'm certainly looking for ways to be more active and proactive in sharing my faith. And I trust that you will be as well. 
As we came to see in our Term 1 series, knowing Jesus is intrinsically tied up with sharing Jesus. It's always a both and. An active, growing and vital personal relationship with Jesus can't help but spill out into every aspect of our lives and the conversations that we have with others. So next week, as we move into the next part of our Peter series and examine how his vital relationship with Jesus overflowed into a conviction and an enthusiasm for sharing Jesus with others, may it drive us to do likewise. I desire to be a person who shares the life-changing message of Jesus with others, and I know you do too. And I've been so encouraged to learn that there are a couple of growth groups who are planning to go on Wednesday night and learn about how to share Jesus relationally. This is so encouraging to me. So encouraging to me that the Holy Spirit is clearly working and active and prompting people's hearts to want to share their faith. Let me close off this short series on Luke 10, 1 to 11, with these challenging words. Jesus never said, go to church. He said, go and make disciples. May we be a loving church that knows and shares Jesus with those who do not yet know him, so that they might experience the life-transforming, life-changing power of the gospel, just as you and I have. May we do this together. And may God's church grow among us so that his kingdom may come. Amen. Thanks, Chris.